What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TanManBaseballFan.com. Hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. We had a very nice one ourselves. Uh, probably talk about that for a second before we uh, go any further uh, onto the main topic of the evening. But uh, yeah, uh, this this year's a little different. Normally, uh, uh, what's happened over the past several years is uh, Holly asks me what I want, and I'll say, oh, I don't know, uh, baseball cards? And she rolls her eyes and says, ah, no, you get those for yourself. Uh, tell me what you want from me. I go, oh, I don't know, how about some PS4 car uh, video games? And so uh, I'll spend a little time looking on YouTube and uh, seeing gameplay of various PS4 games and say, oh, this one looks cool, so is this one, so is this one. So I, I pick up... Uh, uh, or make a list of PS4 games that uh, I want uh, her to get me and uh, she gets them for me and uh, I never play them. It's a fun little game we play. <laughs> I don't know why. I just uh, I love the idea of video games so much more than actually playing them, I guess. I, I don't know. We never have time to play them here. So, uh, But uh, I'll tell you what, I've got a great library of PS4 games in our closet, but... Um, uh, one of them that I asked for this year, so I said, okay, all right, listen, not going to ask for a bunch of PS4 games this year, but I would like Red Dead Redemption 2. And, uh, cause I remember the first one is great. Love the, love the second one. Love to get that one. And so we've been tossing it, uh, around back and forth over the past couple weeks. Are you sure you don't have that one yet? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't. And, uh, go back and forth and then, you know, sure enough, like a week or so before Christmas, I checked the closet. Yeah, I've got it. Just never played it before. <laughs> so, like I said, I guess maybe I'm just more of a collector than a gamer at heart. I don't know if anybody actually collects PS4 games, but I've got a collection. Um, so, uh, this year I I started to, uh, uh, I don't know, have like this this kind of nostalgic kick of uh, of toys. I don't know what's been going on. Like you've been, you've been, uh, if you've been following me over the past few weeks or something, like on social media and uh, uh, on this podcast, you've probably heard me make mention of uh, NES games or Transformers or Voltron uh, here and there. There's a reason for that. It's because I have been looking for things to uh, to get for Christmas uh, for myself and. Uh, yeah, so uh, made out pretty good. I uh, got a GX71 Voltron uh, set. And before that, I also got a uh, Panache Place uh, Voltron set, which is the old school plastic version, which has been really cool. Um, picked up a uh, Transformer G1 the Devastator set, which uh, it's really funny how uh, memories work. I, this happens with baseball cards sometimes too, but like uh, I remember, now, for those of you who don't know, like I don't really know a whole lot about Transformers other than what I've researched based upon what my uh, kind of memory has kind of unlocked for me. But uh, uh, the Devastator set, it's a, uh, a set of like uh, six construction vehicles and they're lime green and 
it's called a combiner set. So they, all six transformers combine into one bigger transformer. First of all, uh, that's gotta be like the, the coolest idea ever. Like I still, you know, just in awe of thinking of like how somebody could come up with something like that. So cool. Uh, anyway, so I got this glimpse on eBay or somewhere of a lime green uh, bulldozer, like the shovel thing in the front or something, I guess. Uh, I don't know what they're called, but like, and then like how you could transform it into be, uh, being the foot. And there's just some sort of memory that was unlocked. And just like that, I was like, oh man, and I got hooked. Like I got super hooked on looking up these things and see what they sell for and uh, all that. Same thing kind of happened with uh, Voltron, which by the way, uh, that happened years ago and I think it was just another picture or something that uh, that tipped me off. And uh, like the some blue lion or something and then all of a sudden, for the first time in like 30 plus years, I'm thinking about these lions that connect together and make some bigger robot. And I was like, what's that called? What's that called? Ah, yeah, I was racking my brain. Thundercats, that's what it is. Yeah, it's got to be Thundercats. And I start looking around uh, on eBay, and there's like nothing that looks like what matches in my brain. I go, well, <laughs> what is it then? And then so I start looking through other 80s toys and see this thing called Voltron. And I go, was it Voltron? That doesn't make sense. Why would they have, why would they name it Voltron when the name Thundercats would fit it so much better? <laughs> and sure enough, it was Voltron and uh, uh, yeah, man, got hooked. Uh, so aside from those things, I also got a couple boxes of 1991 Donruss. I haven't done anything with them. I had a, uh, a buddy of mine from uh, high school. Uh, I haven't talked to him in years, by the way. His name is Travis. So Travis, if you're out there listening, hey, What's up? Um, he uh, wrote me out of the blue, and uh, he sent me. He told me he was going to send me his baseball card collection, uh, and uh, so he sends over two binders, and they came like a day or two before Christmas. So I told him, "Yeah, I'm just going to wrap them, put them on the tree, and open them up that way." And uh, so I do, and uh, you know, end up opening them and see the neat cards. And it's fun to see, like his childhood collection like you could tell it was completely like 1990 or something you know and uh uh you know it's just like an old binder two old binders and they have like handwriting on the fronts of them and a marker and then you've got some like uh flare stickers and you know they've got dividers in the binders like a's astros angels uh braves you know it's it's, it's fun to see uh, just it was like a nice little little uh, insight into what all of us felt for those cards that you know may not be worth a whole lot right now, uh, but back then they were like our treasures. Like we loved them. We uh, sorted them by set or by team or alphabetically. You know, there's so many many ways to do it, and we just loved each and every way we went about it. And. Uh, so it's kind of fun to have that. It almost is like a, a time capsule. And by the way, there are a few good cards in there too. Like uh, there's a 1967 Topps, uh, Sandy Koufax, 
1967 tops Joe Morgan I think I think those were the two main ones that uh, you know they had some had a little value to him I think he said that his uncle had given them to him and so it's kind of kind of just a neat story in binder form because uh, you know a lot of friends that I had uh, growing up they they had the same thing they'd have the binders or boxes of cards and then they'd have like a family friend or an uncle or a dad that had uh, you know, a few older cards that you know totally didn't fit the rest of their collection because they were like decades older but uh, you know that were in there and certainly more valuable more valuable than all the others so it's kind of cool to to see that and uh, and probably the the biggest surprise which is really cool is uh, came from somebody named Ray and so Ray if you're out there listening um, I wrote you I hope you got the email but I wanted to say thank you again so much uh, Ray writes me about a week or two ago saying that he's got a bunch of eight by tens of Canseco he said, yeah, I don't, can't think of another better person to send them to you. So, uh, you know, it makes sense. You're a Conseco guy, so I'll be happy to send them to you. Go, well, shoot. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'd love to see them. Thanks. So uh, he sends them, and I have them sent to my mom's house because uh, Holly doesn't really like a whole lot of things sent over uh, to our house. And uh, so I go to pick her up, uh, my mom, to uh, spend some time Christmas with us. Uh, at our house after picking up some uh, some Denny's. That's kind of how we do uh, Christmas uh, dinner. But uh, uh, and she said, "Oh yeah, here's the uh, this uh, package that you got from somebody named Ray." Okay, cool. So I uh, take it from her on Christmas and open it up, and like all the eight by tens are like uh, uh, they have a Sporting News hologram. Uh, on the back of each one of them. So apparently these were all used uh, originally from uh, the Sporting News, which was like ultra cool. They're so neat. And so the fun thing is also uh, one of the uh, the pictures has a great shot of uh, Jose wearing a jersey with the 25th anniversary patch that I have uh, embedded in one of my cards so that was kind of neat and he had pictures of he and his you know a couple of his ex-wives and there are also some other pictures in there of people that weren't really you know famous or anything so and also some of jose playing golf and you know it's really cool just really neat package and i don't really do a whole lot of non-cards i'm very selective and picky of as far as what i collect but Man, these just kind of blew me away. I loved them. So nice little little Christmas uh, <laughs> little Christmas gift that I wasn't expecting there. So it was kind of neat. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, to kind of go forward with what I was going to talk about here on uh, on the podcast is uh, you know how to kind of how to make money on your passion. And so uh, I've kind of gone in and out of uh, the different uh, passions or obsessions, so to speak. Uh, I've gone through, of course, the Canseco cards, and then I went into comics, and then I got into the vintage cards, and then, you know, some NES games and Transformers and Voltron and, and all that. So 
the the journey on those uh, other 80s uh, pieces are you know certainly far from over for me. Uh, so I'm still learning for sure. But uh, uh, you know, one thing that I wanted to make absolute certain of doing was to make sure that I wasn't going to be overpaying on things because uh, some of these pieces can get pretty expensive and so uh, my thinking is whenever I make purchases uh, as long as I'm educated in what they sell for and I can make sure I purchase them for uh, less than what I can sell them for, sell them for uh, I'm pretty good with uh, basically getting whatever as long as I love it. So uh, those three things. Number one, if I love it. Number two, if I'm educated enough to see what they sell for. And number three, if I can buy it for quite a bit less than what I can sell it for later. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's kind of a fun way to look at things. And the thing that will kill you, though, is when your passion uh, overtakes your patience. And uh, I, I'll admit that's kind of you know, happened to me from time to time as well, where you start get you get to thinking about something, something and uh, you can't get it out of your head, and you just keep uh, uh, thinking and thinking and thinking, and then you know searching more and more and more on a certain item, and uh, until you uh, basically end up uh, blindly hitting buy it now. And so certainly that's not what we want to do personally um, as far as uh, making purchases go in, in the future. So uh, I'll give you kind of a couple examples uh, that I have uh, done in the first, that I've done in the past, uh, probably a couple weeks or so. And first of all, before I say that, let me tell you kind of just how uh, some of these passions come about for me personally. Like, I will literally be walking uh, on the same path I am right now as I'm talking to you right now. And my mind will just go uh, go nuts thinking about certain things. Like, for, uh, for comic books, like, this started earlier this year. Like, just thinking about, like, oh, what would be, you know, be great is having a uh, Hulk 181 with uh, the first appearance of Wolverine and... Man, a giant size X-Men number one. Uh, and then, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the uh, first X-Men to have like that trifecta. Oh, that'd be so cool. And then you, know, you start thinking about others. And Fantastic 448, where it's like the first Silver Surfer and Galactus. And, uh, you know, some of these are, uh, uh, these pieces were interesting to me mainly because uh, I had done research. Like I would listen to people talking on YouTube and other podcasts and I would look at the sales data. I would also go onto various uh, Facebook groups and I would ask them, said, hey, look guys, if you all had X amount of dollars, what comic books would you buy right now? And so I noticed there's like this common theme one of them, for instance, was, uh, or two of them really were, uh, uh, Incredible Hulk 181, and uh, which is the Wolverine's first uh, first appearance, and that that comic like skyrocketed over the past several years. And the next one was the giant size 
X-Men number one. And it's like the first, the first appearance of the new X-Men and the second Wolverine appearance. And it's the first time Wolverine joined uh, the X-Men, if I remember correctly. So, uh, so, you know, I got those and, uh, you know, so it's, uh, and one of the, you know, the X-Men comic, for instance, the giant size X-Men comic, uh, I think I actually ended up picking up two of them. Uh, one of them was for a thousand and the others for 1200. And I think they're, uh, I think they're selling for like 15 or 1600 now. And so it's nice to be able to have a, uh, a comic and they're they're told by the way we're told by the way that that's still like the number one hottest book right now uh just given the fact that uh uh disney's out in the mix and they're gonna be uh introducing the x-men again in the next like year or two or whatever so uh you know that comic is a, is a good book to have but uh without that education i would probably have been one of those buyers for 1600 or something and would have to sit on it for a while before it increased. So instead, because I educated myself and came across some of them as I was researching that, uh, you know, I bought for a thousand and 1200, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, you know, I'm, I, I felt quite safe in making those purchases because I can always get out, uh, give my money back if I need to, but I can also make a little bit of money, uh, for holding this and, uh, for holding these comics. And so like, that's kind of what I want to be doing with any passion of mine. Another one is, uh, I've, uh, as I was doing research on what this, uh, what these G1 transformer devastator sell for, uh, I found somebody selling a, a nice set for 60 and, uh, they also had, other miscellaneous transformers for 35 or 40 so i was into the whole thing for well over 100 bucks and uh i mean guys i want to tell you just remind you again i don't have experience or knowledge of transformers whatsoever beyond what i've researched on ebay over the past week or two so i ended up getting those pieces in and like within the first couple days that they came in i ended up selling them for 160 now it's not a big you know, profit margin at all, but like, it's not bad for the first, uh, time out. It's, uh, you know, made 50 bucks. So that's nice. Uh, did the same thing for some, uh, Lego minifigures. Uh, my buddy Anthony told me about this, uh, seller that was, uh, selling these custom minifigures. And so I bought a boatload of them, like mainly just for Atticus for Christmas, but because they were such a good deal, I doubled up on a lot of them. And, uh, I feel like how much did I make off those? I think I made like a 50 or $60 profit on the doubles. I mean, I still, uh, paid more. I spent more than, uh, than I sold, but, uh, instead of each figure being, you know, $3 each or whatever, it basically lowered the price to me having paid less than $1 each for them. Uh, you know, which is nice. And again, I had no knowledge of what many figures sold for, uh, before I just, did a little research and it wasn't just research. It was also, um, uh, uh, having a hunch that you could actually sell some of these for, uh, for extra money. So that's kind of what I did. And, uh, it turned out really well. Now 
I'm going to go ahead and give you one last story here. Uh, you know, speaking of hunches, and this is kind of going to tie in perfectly with the date because as I'm talking, this is uh, December 26th, uh, 2019. And uh, I could really almost do a podcast entirely devoted to this, but uh, I picked up a Babe Ruth card uh, a couple months ago and I didn't want to say anything until literally today. And so the reason why uh, is because uh, on uh, December 26th, 1919, literally 100 years ago to the day, like this is the century, I guess the centennial anniversary, (laughs) I don't know, uh, is uh, when uh, Babe Ruth's contract was sold from the Red Sox to the Yankees. And so uh, let me give you a little bit of background on, on the significance here. So... The World Series has uh, been played since 1903. From 1903 to 1919, uh, the Red Sox won five of those first 16 World Series games, uh, championships. Now, I say 16 instead of 17 because they didn't play the World Series in 1904. Uh, And so, anyways, the Yankees won exactly zero during that time. In fact, they appeared in exactly zero throughout that time. Babe Ruth gets sold and uh, to the Yankees. And going forward, from 1920 all the way to 2004, uh, the Red Sox had exactly zero wins in the World Series. They, they, they won their first one uh, you know, since having Babe Ruth in 2004. Now, during that time, since uh, the uh, contract of Babe Ruth was sold to the Yankees, the Yankees went from having no World Series appearances to 40 World Series appearances, which, guys, by the way, does way, way, way more than anybody, any other team out there, which is wild. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's pretty crazy. So the curse of the Bambino, like... <laughs> Feels like there is something to that, but that's why. That's why they call it the Curse of the Bambino. So, uh, going back to the card, 1919, uh, W514 Babe Ruth. It is a great card. It's very Picasso-esque. It's not a, it's a, more of a simplified drawing uh, piece than, uh, than what we're used to in the T206 cards. But the, the artwork and even the material, uh, is very, very much so a telltale sign of America during that time period. You got to remember 1919, like we're just coming out of World War One. Uh, materials are scarce, the Depression, all that. Like this is, this card embodies all of that. And so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so it, it's neat to think of that as a piece of American history. Uh, so you look at the card. And it says New York Yankees on the bottom. Now, uh, the significance of this is that this is quite possibly Babe Ruth's first Yankees card ever. Which, by the way, this is like, you know, crazy, insanely awesome, right? Like, (laughs) to have the first Yankees card of Babe Ruth is just, uh, just really amazing. I'm super happy about that. Now, that's where things get even more interesting. If your eyes move up further onto the card... It looks as though it depicts him 
as a member of the Red Sox. So you might quite possibly have his last Red Sox card as he's a member of the Red Sox and first Yankees card all in one. And so the thing that is so fascinating to me, guys, like this card is probably produced 1919, 1920, somewhere around there. Uh, I'll use the term or the, uh, I'll use the year 1919 for, for our purposes here. Uh, and uh, it's fun to think that this card is, a, is the physical, tangible embodiment of the curse of the Bambino. Like it has everything and the time period is, is spot on. It shows the Yankees with the Red Sox and uh, you know everything about this card just screams baseball history that was changed forever because of this man, the Bambino, like the, the, the most famous baseball player in baseball history. And uh, the thing that's insane to me <laughs> is uh, you'd think that this card would be like uh, wildly, wildly, wildly expensive. Well, it's not. Uh, the last one that I saw sold, uh, sold which I think was uh, a couple weeks, a couple months ago, I literally just checked it earlier today because someone on Twitter asked me how much these run for. An authentic altered SGC card, and there are no borders on this card like they they cut the borders off completely sold for twelve hundred dollars and uh so they're not crazy rare of uh of cards and you know they you'll see them pop up a couple times a year or whatever um maybe even more i don't know but uh i would certainly expect that to slow down a bit here as people number one realize that this card is is uh now for all intents and purposes a hundred years old uh, and when they start understanding the significance of the card, not that it's just his first Yankees card, but you know, that it is the embodiment of the curse of the Bambino. And it's a, a physical, tangible piece of baseball history. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really something that you would think that the price would be significantly higher. And, uh, at least I would, you know, so that's why I, I made my purchase on one, uh, cause I saw it as like, I still think it's like grossly undervalued. Like I think it's a fantastic pickup uh, personally. And so uh, my version is, is graded by PSA and it's authentic. And it's got the borders. It's got a little tiny uh, clip off the upper right hand corner. But uh, you know, the neat thing about these cards is, uh, you know, if, if you don't know anything about W514 strip cards, they're distributed by uh, uh, grocery uh, retailers or candy retailers and they were actually on rolls and they would just literally cut off a strip of these cards for the people that buy them, kids, whatever. It would either be a single card or a strip of them. And so the kids a hundred years ago would literally take their scissors and, you know, cut them. And so, you know, obviously uh, the problem doing so is, you know, hundred years later, grain companies have problems when uh, cards are undersized. And so, you know, if you're concerned about getting an authentic altered version, I wouldn't worry about it. I would go ahead and do it uh, because a lot of them are going to come back as authentic altered uh, just because they don't meet the minimum size requirements, just because the kids just might cut them a little too short. So, you know, look for eye appeal first and foremost on those cards. 
Uh, but yeah, I would absolutely recommend trying to pick up uh, one of them for your own collection if uh, that uh, the whole story behind that card interests you. Like to me, that's like wildly fascinating to me. It's one of those pieces that's in my collection now that I feel like I actually literally have baseball history, and not just baseball history, but baseball history of the most famous baseball player ever. And, uh, you know, it's also cheaper than uh, a 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth. Now, of course, the 33 Gaudis are going to, you know, be bigger and they're certainly wildly more popular. Like, I would say the most popular Babe Ruth would be a 33 Gaudi. Um, they're beautiful, uh, especially the one with his full body uh, showing and you see the ballpark behind him and everything. I mean, I love that card. But as far as significance goes, uh, in spite of the fact that not many people know of this card yet, <laughs> the W514, uh, which I call it the Curse of the Bambino card, uh, you know, it's uh, this has so much more history behind it. Uh, and so that's why I think it's uh, poised to, to take off uh, um, quite nicely uh, the, as uh, time goes by. So I love that. You know, I, I love that we've... Uh, got a card like that that's not like wildly wildly expensive because you could still uh, find some decent cards uh, some decent Babe Ruth's of these at the time of this podcast uh, where they pop up for between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars and uh you know yeah I don't know to me personally that <laughs> that beats the heck out of having some like uh you know new fangled one of one patch card or something you know uh of some like kid and uh, that's just me, though. I mean, there's other people that disagree, and that's fine. Uh, but for me personally, a historic piece of, uh, of baseball history of Babe Ruth, I mean, that's, uh, that's really what it is. And, uh, you know, I don't have any to sell myself, so I'm not trying to, you know, pump this up unnecessarily or whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I do, uh, I am very excited to see where the market's going to take this, just like that candy Wagner. That's why I bought that also. It's grossly underrated, the E90-2 Honest Wagoner. It's got the beautiful candy blue background. It's got the same portrait as the T206, and it's uh, it's very close uh, to being just as rare. So, um, you know, it's not a wildly expensive card. You can get those for, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, low numerical grade, but, you know, nice uh, uh, eye appeal for, you know, between four or $5,000. Uh, and you know, it's just one of those cards. I think it could go uh, and should go for way, way, way more. But again, once people realize what it is, there's just, you know, the majority of the, of the collecting community simply don't know what an E90-2 uh, Honest Wagoner is. And a lot of people simply do not know what a uh, W514 strip card of Babe Ruth is. So those are... Two that I will always, always, always have uh, much love for, and uh, you know, I uh, I look forward to seeing uh, the prices increase on those in the in the years to come. I, I really think that it's just coming. Like they're uh, they're both over a hundred years old at this point, or for the Ruth, probably about a hundred right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's going to be fun to see. So those cards would not have anything to do with me, like educating myself with pricing as much as just having a hunch like seeing the writing on the wall that they are grossly underrated and undervalued cards 
and uh, you know they basically just need exposure I think to to take off so uh, but yeah I mean my hope is for this podcast for you guys is to uh, not really have to just rely on the hunch because you don't you don't have to do that unless you're going for like rare cards uh, it's to be able to indulge in whatever passion you have whether it's G.I. Joe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Master of the Universe, Legos, Transformers, Voltron, Thundercats, anything. To be able to indulge and not have to break the bank, so to speak. But actually start a collection and even perhaps make money doing it. That, my friends, is exciting. I love that stuff. I love the heck out of it. And my, uh, my testing ground, my playground for uh for those uh for that method is baseball cards for me and it's worked out beautifully and uh you know i I tried it on transformers and legos on a much smaller scale and guess what it works also and so the things that you need to remember is you know number one uh go after your passion number two research the crap out of it number three once you've researched the crap out of it, you buy at the right price. And uh, I guess last but not least, uh, you know, make sure that your, uh, your patience uh, outweighs your passion. So that way you don't get impatient and overpay. Because that never works out too well when you're trying to potentially make money in your passion. So uh, that's all I have for you for today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a great night. And uh, please do like, subscribe, and share.